kind of sleepy. One more time. Come on, y'all. Come on. There we go. That's what I need. I need a little of that energy today, man. I am so thankful for you being here today. Thankful for everybody watching online. We're going to have a great time today. As you already know, we're in the sign series, but we're going to make you laugh a little bit, and then we're going to learn some stuff today. Today's kind of a tough lesson. I'm not going to lie to you, so hang on. Be ready. But let's start off with some laughter first. You've been sending in the signs. Here are some of my favorites that you sent in this week. I saw the sign. Let's roll it so you can See all the funny ones? If you ain't long enough to make dinner, everyone will eat cereal. Follow up for more tips. Can I get an amen? All the women. Amen. I don't snore, I purr with the force of 10,000 kittens. That's for Angie. The first five days after the weekend are the hardest. Can I get an amen on that? Come on, y'all know that. And then don't give up on your dreams. If cauliflower can be a pizza and zucchini can be noodles, then you can be anything you want, young people. That's pretty awesome. Choose Jesus. Come on, there's a little Jesus. Come on, give him a little love. And then the last one, according to physics, heat makes matter expand. Therefore, I'm not fat, I'm just hot. Can I get an amen now? This is what makes it so fun. Thanks for sending them in. Trust me, people are just bombarding me with all of these great signs. So you can do the same thing. Share your funny signs right here at Justin at thesimplechurch.tv. And then I'll put some in the pre-show and then I'll put some in the message. So if you're not watching the pre-show, have a little fun. It starts 30 minutes before the service, so make sure you watch even coming in or whatever. It's just a lot of fun. So, so thankful for you being here. And this series, like I said, will be all about learning a little bit. But first, we still got to laugh. We got to kind of warm it up a little bit. In week one, I told you about my boy Bill Ingball. Anybody remember him? Here's your sign. Come on, give me a little love for Bill. Where are you at? Now, the reason I know you know him is because there's a bunch of rednecks in here. Where are my rednecks at? Come on. I know you're in here. I'm praying for you. Here's the deal. This was the Blue Collar Comedy Hour. They went out and had a fun time doing all that, but he's not the most famous. The most famous, of course, is Jeff Foxworthy. Come on, give it up for Foxworthy. Come on, my boy. I still love Jeff. He's just hilarious. And this is to get you going in the right vein today, to have a little fun with it. This is Jeff Foxworthy with You Might Be a Redneck. Watch this. You are not going to leave this room until you hear some You Might Be a Redneck. If you think in sync is where your dirty dishes are, <laughs> you might be a redneck. If you take your dog for a walk and you both use the tree at the corner, you might be a redneck. If your dad's cell number has nothing to do with a telephone, <laughs> you might be a redneck. If you keep a flash water on the front seat of the car so you can reach your kids in the back seat of the car. If your working television sits on top of your non-working television, <laughs> you might be a redneck. If you've ever been accused of lying through your tooth, <laughs> you might be a redneck. If an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger changed your life, 
might be a redneck. If you have a complete set of salad bowls and they all say Cool Whip on the side, <laughs> you might be a redneck. Oh, Give it up for old Foxworthy. Now, let me tell you why I did that. Some of you are like, what's that got to do with anything? Well, here's the deal. We're talking about signs, and obviously Bill got me kind of going down that road, so I started watching some of the videos. And last week, in the message, I talked about Pharisees, and I said, man, I'm going to do a message on that. I'm going to throw that out there. And so I went and researched it, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to do a Pharisee message. It's not going to be funny, because I promise you, we had to look in the mirror, and it's pretty tough on us. But what happened was, as I was writing all this out, I thought, well, here it is. It's signs that you might be a Pharisee. So it went along with, you might be a redneck. And the reason I put it together like that is because as we look at these signs, it doesn't say for sure you are. I mean, I'm not telling you and calling you out and calling you a Pharisee, but I'm going to tell you this much. This pastor is guilty of almost everyone on here, if not everyone on here, because I'm going to give you five signs that you might be a Pharisee. Now, if you're not familiar with what a Pharisee is, if you didn't grow up in church, you don't even really understand it. This is the formal definition of what a Pharisee is. Watch this. Here we go. The Pharisees form the largest and most influential religious, political party in the New Testament times. Now, let me just pause right there. Already, you got to know this at the beginning. Pharisees were not liked by Jesus at all. This was not a group you want to be associated with. This is not a group that he was like, man, you're okay and I'm with you. He was the most angry, the strongest with this group. Now, this is one reason why you don't want to mix religion and politics, period. Jesus didn't like it, and we're going to see the proof in just a couple of minutes. Although in America, we're real tempted to do all that, this is why it's such an issue and why he gets so strong. It continues on, though, in the definition. They are consistently depicted in the Gospels as an antagonist, right? They're the ones coming at Jesus or opponents of Jesus Christ and the early Christians. And the name Pharisee means separated one. That's not a bad thing. So at their time, they had good intentions in the beginning. It kind of went off the rails, though, as they continued down this journey of religion and politics being merged into their Jewish culture. Then it continues on. It says, the Pharisees separated themselves from society to study and teach the law. Sounds good. I'm going to study the word. I'm going to get in there and we'll figure it all out. But they also separated themselves from the common people because they considered themselves religiously unclean. Now, the reason I tell you all this is very, very detailed information is found on the Pharisees, particularly when you look at Scripture. And every interaction that you can find in the scripture is not in a positive light because all of these things were true and Jesus was against all of these things. And it wasn't just the Pharisees. You may hear another group called the Sadducees. So there was Pharisees and Sadducees. They joined forces together and they're the ones that demanded that Jesus be crucified because he was going against religion and politics of the church at the time. So if you want to know why this is such a powerful illustration for us today is we can be, once again, associated with mixing these two things. And I'm telling you, Jesus is like, uh-uh, there's some things that I can't stand and this is at the top of my list. Now, here's the irony, much like today. 
In the Jewish culture, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were very respected by the Jewish culture. They were the ones that people would say, man, they kind of know stuff, and then these guys know what's going on, and so they were the religious leaders of the time, respected by all these people because they had separated themselves, they were smarter, holier than thou, knew more, they knew all this stuff, and Jesus comes in, he's like, no, I'm not down with these guys at all, and one of the reasons why is because they also put heavy burdens onto the Jewish people. There was a term called legalism. Now, if you grew up in the South and you grew up in a Baptist church or maybe in another denomination, I was from the Baptist. I'm only speaking from where I grew up. Legalism was a big deal. Now, if you don't know what that means, let's define it. Here we go. Legalism, a doctrinal position emphasizing a system of rules and regulations for achieving both salvation and our spiritual growth. Legalists believe in and demand a strict, literal adherence to the rules and the regulations. So they were very, very devout in their belief that the rules and the regulations cannot be broken. And the only way you get to heaven, the only way you experience spiritual growth is to follow every rule exactly the way it is. And here's what's crazy. Those laws were designed to get people to Jesus, right? To get people to God. That was what they were designed for. But the irony is, Jesus comes in the form of a man on this planet who is God walking the earth, and he stands up against everything these guys were standing for. I mean, these are serious confrontations you're fixing to see. In every one of these, you might be a Pharisee if or based on scripture, not my opinion, not what I think, not what I believe, but just direct quotes from Jesus to a Pharisee. And as you start looking through all these things, you're like, man, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a legalistic person. That's not it. No, but here's the thing. I can tell you as I started the message with, I struggle with this list just like if you're honest, you will too. And our goal is to be better. You'll see that at the end. Our goal is not to go, well, that's just the way I am. Jesus ain't down with that. He don't like that. He's trying to say, hey, I know this is where you may be coming from, but these are some things that you must change. Do not be like the Pharisees. So you go, well, what's the list, Justin? Number one, here's the first thing I'll put out there for you. If, I'll put it on the screen for you. Put number one up for me, please. If you desire to look good rather than do good, you might be a Pharisee. So now the reason this is a big deal, my, my screen's froze, so they're going to work on it for a minute, but just remember this, notes you can download online as well. But if, here's the principle. If you desire to look good more than do good, you might be a Pharisee. And you're going to, Justin, what are you talking about? Looking good versus, you know, doing good, the whole I think. Well, here's the thing. When Jesus would interact with the Pharisee group, they were really good at playing the part. Dressing the part, looking the part, talking the part. But deep down inside, they had some issues going on. And you go, well, what do you mean? I'll show you, Matthew 23. I think you'll have it back up. You hopeless Pharisees. I want you to notice that every time Jesus addresses this group of people, this is why we do not want to be pharisaical, nor a Sadducee. You're a fraud. 
I mean, Jesus starts getting strong. He said, hey, every time I see you, I want to tell you, you're a hypocrite and you're a fraud. You buff the surface of your cups and bowls so they sparkle in the sun while the insides are maggoty with your greed and gluttony. Remember, who is he talking to? A religious political group that had power at the time that put rules over people. And in the middle of that interaction, Jesus says, boy, y'all sure are good at looking good. You put on your outfits, you come on in, you play the game, but then whenever I really look on the inside, dude, you're nothing but full of greed, and you're nothing but full of gluttony. You just want to do everything your, your way, you want to have everything your way, and then you put unrealistic goals, unrealistic uh, you know, levels of expectation on the everyday common follower. And he's like, and I can't stand it. Because you know that on the outside, you're playing the game, but on the inside, it ain't pretty at all. He continues, you're hopeless, you Pharisees, you frauds. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotten bones and worm-eaten flesh. I wonder what he really thinks about this, right? I mean, he is coming at him. He said, you're hopeless. This is what's crazy. He says, people look at you and think you're saints. But beneath the skin, you're nothing but a fraud. I mean, man, Jesus is like bringing the wood. He is like going, let me make sure you're real clear. I know that you have all the credentials. I know that you think you're something because the religion and the politics have put you in a place of power. But I am telling you, I cannot stand who you are and what you're about. When we started Simple Church 15 years ago, there was something that kind of was weird for people. Now it's not so weird, but just go back in time if you can to 15 years ago. One of the most controversial things we did in the Simple Church was told people that you could wear anything to church that you wanted to. Now you may think in here now like, what's the big deal with that? If you are a Pharisee, it's a big deal. You can't wear shorts to church. You can't wear flip-flops to church. You can't put a hat on in church. Now you think in your mind like there's nobody really. Oh, trust me. I can tell you an interaction that we had when I was growing up in church. I was actually a student pastor and a young man had come in and he was not familiar with church. One of his first times ever being in church and he had his baseball cap on. The deacons attacked this young man. <laughs> Came up to him, you take that hat off your you understand? And these guys like, hey man, I didn't know. You don't walk in here, I can't believe you do that. Blah, blah, blah. What do you got on? And everybody was attacking him. Now you may think, come on, man. It is nothing compared to what was happening thousands of years ago. They had this idea, this mindset that you had to look the part. You played the part. And that's why, even in the church to this day, that's why it continues to come through. It's all about what people wear and the way they appearance. And that's why even some of you grew up and your parents taught you the same thing. You wear your best. You get up and you give it your best on that day. And listen, if you happen to do that, that's no problem. The problem is, is when you look down on other people that don't have what you have. If you can wear a suit, great. If you can afford a suit and you have it, great. But see, the Lord, and I'm going to prove it to you, looks at the heart. This is just some of the examples. But I'm going to tell you, it's even going to get clearer. And you go, well, why is clothes, why was he focused on that? Why was he talking about the outside? Here's a picture of a Pharisee from that time. Obviously, they didn't have cameras. This is from recorded history. And by looking at what they wrote down, they described it pretty well visually for you. 
It was all about looking the part. Big headdresses, formal wear. And when they wore this, everyone in the community knew, oh, that's a Pharisee. They're separated. They're, they're set apart. That sounded good. It was like, well, I'm holy. I've got this figured out. And so their appearance looked one way. But Jesus, as you just saw, cut through and was like, I see you that you're dressing up on the outside. But I want you to know you're like a manicured grave. Dude, that's next level. This is Jesus. This isn't me. This isn't you. This is Jesus going, I don't care how good you look on the outside. I'm looking at the inside. So in our current culture, if you wear a suit or if these are your church clothes, it doesn't really matter to God. He's not sitting there judging you based on what you decided to wear today. What he is looking at, and which is most important, as what we'll see in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God doesn't look at what people see. People judge by what is on the outside, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. So this is why when you're coming to Simple Church, you're going, man, I see people dressed a little bit different. This is a little bit weird. Because for 15 years, I've been saying, dude, I don't care what you wear as long as you wear something. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> funny story. This is funny for Teague Lampkin. He's one of my good buddies. We were doing a Super Bowl party down at the boardwalk one year. In the middle of the Super Bowl party, 98 Rocks was having a party down below us, and the Simple Church was having a party up in the upper level. And God is my witness, Teague, this church had just opened, and Teague was up there, and we were setting up the signs, and all of a sudden, I see this girl walking up, and she has like a trench coat on and a bikini. And I'm thinking, this is going to be weird. And I heard Teague, who was a single man, said, hallelujah, amen. <laughs> I knew I loved the Simple Church. This girl walks up, she said, is this where the Super Bowl party is? And I'm thinking in my mind, boy, we are going to stretch what I've always thought and believed. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're having a Super Bowl party here. And then she starts looking around and she sees Simple Church and then a banner and this. And she goes, oh, I'm looking for the 98 Rocks party. And Teague's like, Lord, it was so close. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Next thing I know, she's walking. Hey, thanks. What's going on? She goes downstairs and I look for Teague. I can't find him anywhere. He's at the 98 Rocks party. Pray for him, right? <laughs> Here's what's funny about all that. I was stretched even in that moment and thinking, what would I have done? What would I do? If someone walks in or presents themselves in a way that I'm not comfortable with, how do you handle that? It's an extreme example, but that is a true story. But it was like God was kind of testing me. You say one thing, but all right, let's, let's go ahead and look. Where's your line, Justin? How are you going to navigate this? Now, this is what's crazy. When you talk about God sees people's heart, he doesn't really look at what's going on the outside. Go ahead and evaluate yourself on that before we move on. And if you think Jesus is done, he's not even close. As we go through this, there's another little phrase in there. He's going to be like, hey, because we all know if the girl walked out of the bikini, what began to happen? If you liked it, you were going, hey, man, that's pretty awesome. I'm glad she's here. If you didn't like it, can't believe that girl would walk in here looking like that. That's unbelievable. Who does she think she is? Because if you've ever grown up in church, I've heard it from all of us at one point or another. Somebody that don't know any better, they finally get to church. Boy, you tear them up if they don't look like you, if they don't dress like you, if they didn't have everything together. And Jesus has a message for all of us, if you feel that way, if you've ever been in that position. Matthew 12, you snakes. It's your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. See, a good person produces good deeds and words. And let me tell you something, Jesus says. 
Every one of these careless words that you say is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. If you want to know like who Jesus is upset with and you're talking about getting on you, this is it. A time of reckoning? Words are powerful. Take them seriously, Jesus says. Words can be your salvation or they can be your damnation. What is he saying? It was the same thing. If people didn't fit the exact mold or look exactly like what they thought, then they would talk about them. People would cut them up and tear them down. And you and I know the church is guilty of it. It's this idea we like to put on one front, but then we go out to dinner and go, I just can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe it? Or you get in the car and you see some girl that maybe doesn't fit the profile of exactly what you think they should have or look like or should be in church, and you just tear them up. And Jesus says, I really don't like that, Pharisee. Because we're the very ones that this is more my little quote comes in my mind as I kind of wrote this out. We're the very ones that'll post on Facebook, glory to the Lord today. It's a beautiful day. And the whole time you're tearing people up on the inside. So here was my thought. If your Facebook posts make you look spiritual, but you disrespect your spouse or you say hateful things about others, you might be a Pharisee. It's this idea that we kind of walk through here and we play the game in one position or one place, but deep down inside there's issues that we're working through. Number two, if you major on the minors, you might be a Pharisee. You go, well, Joshua, what does that mean? Well, let's go back to Jesus, Matthew 23. You blind guides, you strain gnats out of your wine, but you swallow camels. Now, if you're going, what in the world is he talking about? Well, in their culture... They had big, large vats that would hold the wine, big, large vases. And what they would do is because they're open vases, sometimes the gnats or the bugs would land in the wine. So if they were getting ready to serve it, they took cheesecloth out. I have a picture for you. And they would put it over the cup, and as they poured it in, it would strain the small little bugs out of the wine that you were about to drink. And Jesus was using an illustration of Pharisees. You're real good at nitpicking all the little stuff. And you ignore the camel that is getting hung up in your throat because there are bigger issues than these small little gnats. And if you've never seen a camel, I'm just telling you, it's a large animal. And Jesus was using very common illustrations for them. He's like, hey, you see that camel? That's the obvious big issue that you're ignoring while you're focusing on the little gnat in your wine. Everything's a big deal for a Pharisee except for the big deals. And you go, well, Justin, what do you mean? I'll give you a real-time illustration. How about when you go out to dinner and you see someone drinking at dinner, maybe a glass of wine, and then you go, I thought they were a Christian. Oh, my God. I can remember in the Baptist church, they had a real hard stance against it. So then they would come back to church, and the buzz among the other believers was, hey, man, I heard that so-and-so was out drinking wine. And then what would happen back then was is they went to the other city, Instead of being in their own city, they'd go eat in the other city so nobody would see them. Don't be looking around. Just stay focused, all right? Because if you grew up that way and the buzz was, I can't believe they were drinking wine. I didn't even know they drank. How can they do this? Oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. And they would just be. And then here's the irony. At this time that you're making that the big deal, as you're making that, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. There's children in the world that were literally dying for clean water, and you didn't even care. You never prayed about it. You never worried about it. 
all you worried about was the fact that somebody had a glass of wine at dinner and you ignored the bigger issue. I'll give you one here in the Simple Church, make it a little even easier for you. When we launched and we said, hey, you can bring donuts into the service, there were people going, oh my God, they're eating in the sanctuary. How in the world can you have donuts in here? Oh my gosh. And people made a big deal of the fact of whether you could have a donut or not have a donut. And if it wasn't in the sanctuary, quote, because we never had a sanctuary, by the way, New Testament, this is the sanctuary, so you'd have a really better issue of saying, you don't need to be putting that in your sanctuary. <laughs> Instead of worrying about it being in the sanctuary. But in the whole point is they'd be, I can't believe they're having a donut, I can't believe they're having a donut. And meanwhile, never gave a second thought to the fact that people around the world had no food to eat. You didn't pray about it. You didn't have any way to solve the problem. You didn't even care about the problem. You were so focused on the fact, I can't believe they have a donut in church. And never that mad about the fact that people are dying of starvation in the world. This is Jesus speaking to us modern day Pharisees. You're hung up over someone having a glass of wine or you're hung up over a donut and you ignore the obvious major problem. And you go, Justin, good night. That's kind of tough. That's why I don't want you to be a Pharisee and I don't want to be a Pharisee. Why? Because Jesus says things like this. How terrible for you, you Pharisee, you hypocrite. Once again, here he comes hard again. You tithe down to the last mint in your garden. Now, let's just go ahead and pause right here. Jesus never talked about tithing. I ain't got a tithe. You're wrong. I think I see it right here. This is Jesus. Oh, it's going to be worse in a minute. You tithe down to your last mint leaf in your garden because this is the thing. They were Pharisees, so they were very religious. They were like, hey, man, everything you grew, everything you had in your garden, you had to tithe 10% of that and give it back to the church to be able to help people who didn't have anything. That was how serious it was. And they were following that rule. Man, you, you've tied down to the last thing, but you ignore the important things. Important things. What's more important than tithing? Justice, mercy, faith. You go, well, what is he talking about? Here's the thing. Somebody can be done wrong in our culture, and you never, ever care about it. You don't care about someone having justice. You could see someone in need, and you never have mercy. You never have compassion. You're so hard-hearted that you would be happier saying, well, I tithe, but I'm going to ignore these major issues that are going on, just as where Jesus is like going, no. Now, just in case you still weren't clear on Jesus... It continues, and this is where Jesus says, yes, you should tithe. So in case you're looking for that, there's a good example. But you shouldn't leave the more important things undone. What was he saying? He's like, hey, rules are kind of easy to follow, but it's a whole lot easier to just ignore your responsibility as a believer. To let your compassion just go out. It's easier to just say, well, I don't even know that. I'm not even going to focus. Let me just focus on following the rule. If you need my 10%, that's fine. If you need to cut a check, that's fine. But then when you walk out here and justice needs to be stood up for or someone needs mercy or you need to take a step of faith, you're like, no, I'm not going to do all that. That's crazy. So then I wrote down a little quote for you. If you spend more time arguing about what you're against than working to make things right, you might be a Pharisee. 
See, we grew up in a world where they were picketing and arguing and pointing the finger at everybody else, from Disney to Coca-Cola to everybody. I can't believe they're standing for the. I am not going to do this. And then they got to dinner, and they're like, Coca-Cola, please. <laughs> Disney. Well, we got to go. You know, I mean, kids got to see everything. We got to go do it. But you got to remember, this is the church I grew up in. This is the world I grew up in. It was very pharisaical. Then they were picking and choosing who they liked or who they didn't, and they were pointing the finger, and, and it's just a mess. And Jesus is like, come on, man. Look at everything in your life, and don't become pharisaical. Number three, this is a tough one. If you remove yourself from problem people, quote, problem people, you might be a Pharisee. And you go, what do you mean? Matthew 23, Jesus, Pharisees, hypocrites. Do you notice a common theme? <laughs> Every one of these passages, he's hitting them right away. You, you hypocrites, you Pharisee. For you shut the door on the kingdom of heaven right in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others in either. He's like, man, you, it's only if they fit your mold. It's only if they look like you. If it's only if they believe like you. But other than that, then you shut the door on them. You're, you're hard on them. What sorrow awaits you, you hypocrite? For you cross land and sea to make one convert. And then you turn that person to the twice the child of hell you are yourself. Oh, good night. Now, I want to give you some illustrations because this is pretty tough. We work a lot in Africa, specifically the country of Rwanda. The Belgians are the ones that actually were there to colonize Rwanda. And when they came in there, they were Christians. A lot of them were Christians. And they had this idea that the only way to kind of fix this country, and this is why I go back to this, you travel cross land and sea to convert someone else and make them twice the son of hell as you are. This is a great example. Christians go in there, they're like, we got to win these people to the Lord. We got to teach them what's right. We got to show them how things work. And this is what we did. I put the image on the screen because they went in and they began to measure people's noses. They began to look at the color of their eyes and they said, you know what? If you have a small nose, you're more valuable than someone who has a large nose. You can't make this up. This is the, the truth. And you're going, not the church. Go look at the history. Not Christians. Look at history. And then they begin to say, well, if you have a cow, you're more valuable than if you're just a farmer. So they started creating classes. Did the Africans know that? Did the Africans have that? No. Mm -mm. But in the name of Christianity and in the name of, you know, advancement and taming the savages and winning them to the Lord, we're going to change you to look like us and act like us and even have classes like us. And if you want to know if it was a successful or not, I'll remind you for all of that have been in the simple church for the last 15 years, genocide is not success. When because of political views that the church got associated with and they merged the two very similar to the Pharisees at the time. You don't like this Samaritan group. You don't like that group. If they don't fit in, if they're not Jewish and they're not a Pharisee and they don't go by every rule and do everything just right, then you can't associate with them. And then if you're going to go convert them, make them just like you. And if they're not just like you, then there's no way they can fit in. They've missed it. We need to pray for them. We need to continue to work on their spiritual growth because when they grow to be like us, that's how we know they've arrived. 
and you make them into twice the son of hell as you are yourself. And it turned on them and a million people were killed because of political and religious thoughts that became reality. Religious and political theology and mentality changed in the culture and the church was a part of it. You can't claim like we didn't know, we just didn't know. No, this wasn't like 1800, 1700. This wasn't 2000 years ago. This is 1990s. And when people ran to the church to get away from the genocide and they thought surely Christians will protect us and the church is in on it and they call the other group, their in-group and say they're here, come kill them. You go, there's no way. There is a way. And this is why Jesus is going, don't you get in your mindset, oh, they couldn't be, or when they look like this, or they have to be like this, or they, there's no way they could be Christians. Now, if this isn't a powerful enough illustration, let me go ahead and bring it back into America. Because some of you go, Africa, that's so far over there. I mean, whatever. Already, I'll pray for you in that mindset. But if you say that, I'll bring it to you, Americans. To us, Americans. Do you remember this? This is what we did to Native Americans. In the name of Christianity. In the name of straightening them out. In the name of making sure savages don't continue to do what they're doing because you just don't understand who they are and what they're about. Because we came in and we're smarter and we are Christians and we're better. So what we do is take who you are and make you look like this. And the only way that this works is, is we got to just go from the smallest to the youngest to make sure that we convert them all. And let me just put the picture up because this is tough stuff. We cut every child's hair. We put them in suits. And we educated them and taught them they were wrong and we were right, period. All in the name of converting them. And then in, to make it even worse, this is American history. Go look it up. Ugly, tough. We said, look, you don't even know how to work, and so we want you to serve us. <laughs> You're talking about dirty, man. So we taught them how to iron clothes because, hey, listen, when you finally figure out how to be civilized, you're going to need a job to serve us who are a little bit better than you. That's our history that we don't really want to talk about. But once again, religion and politics merge to say we're better than everyone else. And Jesus says, I can't stand you because you're using God. You're using my name. And when you had political figures at the time, and this was again back when the Native Americans were being converted, we had phrases like this. Kill the Indian in him and you save the man. So it would be very similar today that if we were to go, well, we got to make them look just like us, act like us, believe like us, and if not, then there's no way that's going to work. If you were to go back to Jesus' time, it's the same way. A Samaritan, there's no way. A half-breed, oh my gosh, there's no way that person can do it. And who did Jesus make the heroes of his story? The Samaritans. God, I'm like, man, this is tough. So you want to know why we're so adamant or why I hope and pray that we don't become this and why I'm trying to lead you? is because the idea was shut people out that don't believe like you, that don't look like you, and make them be like you. Forget looking like Jesus. You now think you're the example. 
And now if you really were confused, if Jesus didn't like this, I'll give you another example. Matthew 9. Shall we look at more examples? Jesus ate dinner at Matthew's house. Matthew was a tax collector. So now if it's not just your religious and your political views, now it's just he's a sinner. Because by the way, this was a political decision because he worked for the Roman Empire. He was a tax collector. He did things that he worked for the wrong side. And here it is, Jesus going, nobody ate with tax collectors. But Jesus says, hey, I'll eat with you. And many others with bad reputations came to hang out with Jesus. The Pharisees, guess what? Guess who saw him? The guys in the suits and the whole thing come in and go, hey, 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 come here. What are you doing eating with these such people? The message translation is even better. It says, why are you eating with this scum? Because that's the way they viewed him. And as they walk through this, he goes on, why, did you do, why does he do stuff like this? Well, he says, this is my favorite part, Jesus heard them say this. Jesus, I don't know where he was, how close he was, or if through the power of the Holy Spirit, he heard them and he's like, I hear you, fool. I hear you. And so he said to them, it is sick people who need a doctor, not those who are healthy. And by the way, I guess you just think you got it all figured out. So I guess I really don't apply to you. But I'm going to go where no one else will go. And I'm going to befriend those that no one else will befriend. So when you say you are a Jesus follower, man, Christianity is it for me. Let me just go ahead and ask you, who are you hanging with? Because what Pharisees did, they separated themselves from all the people that needed them the most, that needed God the most. So I'll write this down in my notes, put it on the screen for you. If all your relationships are with people who look like you, go ahead, hang in there. Act like you and believe like you, you might be a Pharisee. And remember, Jesus don't like Pharisees. So this is why, to me, the simple church has to strive and we all got to go, uh-uh, I won't be no Pharisee. That's why you strive for different relationships. That's why you strive for people who are unchurched. This is why you invite anybody and everybody, no matter what they wear, no matter what their background is, no matter what political party they're a part of, no matter what neighborhood they live in. Because why? Because that's what Jesus calls us to do. And this next fourth one kind of goes along with the third one. Is if you think you're better than other people, then you might be a Pharisee. And I can tell you, this has been me at times in my life. I've looked at someone and I've thought bad about them or I had something in my mind. I'm like, golly. Luke writes this one for us. The Pharisees stood alone. This is what happens. Eventually, if everybody don't look like you and act like you and believe like you, you pull yourself away because you're just better than everybody. <laughs> why would I be around them? Why would, why would I hang with them? Are you kidding me? I am not at that level. Thank God I'm not. <laughs> Look at this. When the Pharisee prayed, he said, oh God, I thank you that I'm not as bad as those people. <laughs> I'm not like men who steal or cheat or committed to, oh my God, I'm not that person. No, I'm so above that now. Oh my God, thank God I'm not them. Thank God I am better than that person. Thank God I'm better than this person or that person. Thank God I'm better than that tax collector. Oh my gosh, or fill in the blank. And who's telling this, this story? Jesus. Because he's going, dude, you're not. You're not. I'm not. You're not. We're not. So if you believe, wrote this down, if you believe they can't be a Christian because they work at that place, 
They work at a casino. Oh, my God, they're going to hell in a handbasket. They're a part of that denomination. Oh, my gosh, they're crazy. Those people are crazy. There ain't no way that, no. -uh. They're a part of that political party. I don't need to say nothing there. We'll just be quiet. <laughs> this is the, t I told y'all, it's tough. We had to laugh at the front to go, ooh, this is tough. And I'm telling you, the guy in the lights, the pastor, I struggle just like you. If you think we got it all figured out, no, this is why I'm going to do. You might be a Pharisee if, I'm like, God, I don't want to be a Pharisee. So what's the fifth one? Justin, the fifth one's perfect. You ready for this? Here it is. If you think this sermon applies to someone else, you might be a Pharisee. You're like, boys, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this message. I can tell you right now, boy, I can't wait to let so-and-so. I'm going to share this one online. I'm going to post this one. Look at me. That, listen, the biggest problem is that Pharisees don't know they are one. Horrible English, but you get the point, right? It's like, man, hey, you know what? This is the problem. They need to do this, and they need to do this. And then you go, the truth is, is we have gotten so involved in the religion and political side of things that we've missed who Jesus is and why he wants us to be different. So what do you do, Justin? Jeremiah had a good advice. He says, but I, the Lord, I search all hearts, and I examine secret motives. So when you go, yeah, but that's not me. No, here's the good thing about our God. He sees what we think no one else sees. And this is where I struggle to him. Like, God, I don't want to be messed up, man. And then he goes on. He says, I will give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. You know why it's important to treat people kind? You know why it's important to love all people, including your enemies? Because one day, he says, it matters. You know why it's important to say, God changed my heart, man. I'm messed up. I grew up religious. I'm too hung up in political things of things that are going on. I don't view people the way you view them. I want everybody to look like me and act like me and believe like me. If I don't, I'm not going to associate with any of them. He's like, no, no, man, uh-uh. Help me. Because the truth is, we're all here. The truth is, if you didn't hit five for five, you hit a few, because I know I do. And Jesus comes back and he says, here's my challenge to you, simple church, Justin. I tell you that you must just do better. Do better than who? <laughs> than the Pharisee. Man, you can do better than that. And here's the goal. You go, well, Justin, what's the goal? But among you, but among you in the simple church, but among you in Christianity, among you, you should be, what's the key word here? So if you're like everybody else and you do like everybody else, then be, we're missing it already. So the challenge for me, the challenge for you is we can come to church and we can put on our outfits and we can sing the songs and we can bring our Bible and we can go to Bible study and everybody looks like, oh, that's right, brother, amen. I know it. I don't know how they could do that. I don't know how someone could associate with them. Oh, my God, did you hear what they did? I cannot believe they think they're, did you see what they wore? And we go through our whole little things and we get through the whole thing and then we go out and go, I feel so much better about myself. And Jesus like, you missed it. And guess who missed Jesus that walked among them, the Pharisees, the ones that were supposed to be pointing to the Messiah, pointing to their Savior, he stood in front of them and they did not recognize him. They criticized him. 
They tore him apart and they killed him. And Jesus, the whole time when he's on the cross, what did he say? Forgive them, God. They don't even know what they're doing. And even in the worst of the worst, when he was so brutal with the Pharisees and all that argument and the way he confronted it, he even loved his enemies to the point of dying even for them. That's different. And that's what he calls you and I to. He's not looking for you to pick it and point the finger. What he's looking for you to do is be so full of love and so much like him that no matter who they are and what their background is and what color they are and what political party or what denomination, or what neighborhood, what country they come from, that man, you are so like Jesus that it changes people. Because guess what? He left us here to be that. So my challenge to you, my challenge to myself is to be different. So what am I going to do? You said, there's a Steve Hartman video coming right here? Not today. I got something else for you. I want you to sit quietly. I want you to listen to the words of the song. If you don't like looking at videos, just close your eyes and say, God, search my heart. Help me. Change me to be different. And I think if you hear the words of the song and you talk to him, it might just start in a moment like this. Watch. I don't want to hear anymore Teach me to listen I don't want to see anymore Give me a vision That you could move this heart To be set apart I don't need to recognize The man in the mirror Cause I don't want to trade your plans For something familiar I can't waste a day Cause I can't stay the same I wanna be different I wanna be changed Till all of me is gone And all that remains Is a fire so bright The whole world can see But there's something different So come and be I just want to be different, yeah. 
Would you pray with me? Father, when I hear that song, man, I just think about my life and I know that I'm not where you want me to be in so many areas. And What I hope and pray is by looking at your interactions with people like me that it would motivate me to change, to be different. And when you got with your followers that didn't fit the norm, there's murderers in there, there were sinners, tax collectors. You didn't pick the religious, pharisaical guy. Lord, you picked people that were struggling through that and your hope was is that those guys would change the world because they saw you, they knew you. And I pray, God, that if someone in here is looking for an answer and they're trying to figure that out, that they would run to you and not religion. A relationship changes everything. Religion bottles us up, it ties us up, it messes us up. So help us to fall in love with you and to make you known to a world that desperately needs to know you, not religion. I can't help but think of Saul, the most religious and the Pharisee of them all, but yet you broke him. You stopped him in his tracks. And then he's the one that writes the majority of the New New Testament to remind us that it wasn't in religion. It was when he found the relationship with you. So maybe there's a religious person here today who says, man, I've messed up and I need you, Jesus. And I pray they would pray just the same as someone who's never been in church before. Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you to come into my life and change me. I believe you are who you say you are, that you did what you did for me. You died on the cross. You shed your blood to cover all of my sin, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I commit myself to you, not in a one-time prayer, but when I walk out of here to follow you. No matter what politics, no matter what religions do, let me follow the person of Jesus. And as a result, God, let it be so full of love that the world sees the difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I get an amen out there somewhere one time? Come on. Listen, man, do not fall into the trap of taking religion over the relationship. If you want to know how to do it better, follow the person of Jesus, not some religion or religious organization, all right? I love y'all, dude. Thanks for being here today. Download the app. If you prayed the prayer, if you made a commitment, if you need prayer requests, fill out the app uh, and send it to us because we're going to do a baptism coming up on October 30th at Hurricane Alley. You do not want to miss it. We're going to take communion out there. We're going to have baptism. We're going to do some awesome worship. I'd love for you to be there, and I'd love to help you get baptized if you need to take those steps, all right? I thank y'all so much for being here, and I can't wait to see you next week. We do another week of signs. Hang on. We ain't done yet, all right? Until next week, what do we say? Peace. Thanks for coming.